uh, today we're going to talk about prayer. And I've noticed, like I've been around church for a long time, and so I've noticed that when preachers talk about prayer, that, that people kind of start to get down in their seat a little bit, you know, or maybe they hang their head over uh, uh, and stuff, because I think that that's one area that no matter where you are in your life, like no matter how much you do or, or whatever, that, that you feel like you could improve on, and, and that's prayer. Um, I've never met a Christian that said, I am completely satisfied with my prayer life and how I'm communicating with God. Everybody I talk to about prayer says, man, I really need to work on that. You know, and I know we can all just use some improvement. But the truth is, is that there's something deep down inside of us that, that really doesn't want us to pray. Um, it's called our flesh, and, and it's because we want to be independent. Um, back in the garden, right, the struggle was for independence is, is what it was. They're trying to be independent. And, and so that's just who we are. That's who people are. And so we have to fight against that, especially as believers, um, we live here in this country, and we are very blessed. I mean, we are blessed no matter where we are, you know, as far as, far as whatever. We are blessed. I've had some friends that have been in Africa for the past couple of weeks, and they've been sending these pictures, and it just reassures me of how blessed we really are in this country. Um, and I think because we are so blessed, we take it for granted sometimes. This, this is my story. I'm telling you my story. I don't know if you can relate to this, but this, this is just me, okay? Um, so I go to the fridge, open the door, and I'm moving things everywhere, and I shut the door, and then I announce to everybody, we ain't got a thing to eat. Right? Did you catch that? I had to move stuff out of the way to see that we didn't have anything to eat. But, but, we, we do take it for granted, our blessing. And, 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 and it's God's abundance that he has given us, and we miss it. I found this quote from Abraham Lincoln, and it's from a proclamation that he gave in 1863. And I want us to see if you think this might still ring true today. We have been the recipients of the choicest of bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserves us in this peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and, perse and persevering grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. And so this is in 1863. And I think that not only have we not gotten better at depending on God, but maybe we've gotten worse. Um, we often treat prayer like an oxygen mask on, uh, on the airplane, right? So it's there in case you need it. In case of an emergency, you can grab it and use it, right? Uh, uh, if, if an emergency pops up, then it's there. And, and so maybe you're sitting here thinking, 
What even is prayer? I think on a very basic level, it's just talking to God. But really, it's way more than that. Prayer is asking God to do what only God can do. But even at a deeper level than that, prayer is when we are aligning ourselves with the purpose of God. So why should we pray? Well, first off, it honors God. I mean, God loves it when we depend on Him. Uh, and, and, and so uh, you think, I, I don't want to be weak, right? Well, God loves it when we depend on Him, even in our weakness, probably especially in our weakness. Second thing is it's helpful. Prayer works. I, I've seen it. I, I'm standing here today without crutches because people prayed for me. And, and it's often we just don't notice that it really works. But hopefully you've seen God work in your life and through your life. And then the, the, a third reason why we should be praying is because prayer uh, uh, is good for you. And there's studies that show that people who pray are, are, are more healthy. They're healthier than those who don't. And this is a promise from the Bible. It's not just a scientific study. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this. And, and, and I'm going to read. This is a, it says, trust the Lord with all your heart. And you've probably heard that, right? And, and so uh, that's the one that gets on the sign at Hobby Lobby. But I'm going to read the next couple of verses. And let's see where this leads us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from all evil. And it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Man, could you use some healing and some refreshment this morning? Man, I could. So a good prayer life is a healthy way to live. If you ever have the opportunity and you're in New York City, right, and you make your way over to Rockefeller Plaza, right? You're going to see this statue, the statue of Atlas. It's 45 feet tall. And he's got these bulging muscles. And, and, and he has the world on his shoulders, and he's straining to hold it there, right? And it's a very impressive statue, and, and so he's, he's there, and he's just he's, he's holding up the world. There's an interesting thing, though. Across the street, there's a church. St. Patrick's Cathedral is there. And if you go inside of it, right on, beside the altar, there's a, a, a small statue. And it's of the boy Jesus. You know, he's just a boy. Uh, and, and he's holding the world in his left hand. He ain't straining. He's not... Trying. You just got it there. Not sweating at all. So, so here's a question. Which side of the street would you want to be on? Because prayer is going to put you on the right side of the street. And that's a life that is dependent on God. So in the mornings is when I, I do a lot of my prayer. Um, I've got this big mirror. And I take a dry erase marker. And some of you guys know this. Uh, and I write names of people or things or events or whatever on this mirror. And with the dry erase marker, you can clean it. And, and so I got kind of a permanent list, and it's got some things here. And then, like, when something's going on, 
I just write it. And that way, when I'm getting ready in the morning, uh, I see that, and it's a good reminder. You guys have, are on my prayer list. I pray for our church service. And I look around, and a lot of your names individually have been on my mirror, uh, which is a weird way to say, I've prayed for you. Paul, in our scripture today, has a prayer list. And he writes to this church, and he tells them that I'm, go- I'm praying for you. But he follows it up by telling them what he's praying for them for. He tells them why he's praying for them. And he gives them his prayer list. Here's what I want us to know about Paul's prayer as we jump in. Um, he, he jumps to the core of the matter. Like he trims off the fat, the fluff is gone, and he just gets straight to the point. And that's why Paul's prayers are so special. Um, So let's see what we can learn. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins. So Paul prays for about four distinct things for his church. This is a prayer for believers. Um, And the first one is found back in verse 9. He he says, to be filled um, with the knowledge of his will. Now listen, um, this is easy stuff to just pass over. Right? Like, like you're reading this, it's a prayer, read it, move on. Because the next week, let me tell you, if you're going to miss, do not miss next week. Because he's going to start talking about this is who Jesus is. And it's so good. So this, when you're going to that, this is just kind of in there and it's easy to just, just pass over. But I want us to slow down and, and to take a closer look. So in verse 9, he starts off, he says, for this reason. So for what reason? Uh, For what Jared talked about last week. He unpacked it for us. And he said, remember how he talked about um, when you've been exposed to the gospel, it's not just something that you know, but it moves you to transformation and you're called to bear fruit in a world that's just starving for hope. And and because you're, 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 you know, he sees this church. And because they're doing so good at this, I mean, they're bearing fruit and they're, they're just doing all this work and they're just doing such great things. Paul says, because you're doing this, that's why I pray for you. But in our culture today, in our world today, it's different. Um, we would say, because you're doing so well, because you're doing so good at all these things, because you're thriving, really don't need to pray for you. Right? I, I need to pray for those who are in need. I mean, it's really, that's what we, we do. We tend to do that. I do that. 
And that's how we pray. I mean, we have prayer lines. We have prayer meetings. We pray for the sick, and we pray for those that need. We pray for those who are hurt, flood victims, whatever, you know. And so that's where we find ourselves, spending prayer. And all those are great things, and we need to do those things. But here's the thing. You're never going to reach a point in this life to where, where you don't need prayer. I mean, we get in the mindset that, that if it's not an urgent need, we, we don't pray. We don't pray for them. We don't pray for these people. But, so he, he said, please pray for each other, no matter what the season is. Because if you're on a mountaintop, there's going to be a valley coming, right? So for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Me and my wife, we get asked this all the time. How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what God's calling me to do? And listen, that should be an important question that we wrestle with. Because Jesus wrestled with it. I think how much more? Does Chris Bartley need to wrestle with that, you know? And, and, and so you should be asking that question. What is God's will for my life? Uh, and, and so Jesus, in John 4, he says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so my food is to find his will. And, and even you think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows the cross is coming. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows... The guards are on their way. He knows these things. And, and so he gets down and he prays. What does he pray? He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And, and so he's seeking uh, the Father's will, even facing death. And I see kids pray. I see little, you know, four-year-olds praying the Lord's Prayer. And I see basketball teams and baseball teams and football teams. And they get in a huddle. And the football teams are my favorite because they just do the Lord's Prayer. And like, our Father, we're in heaven. I will be done. You know, and it's, you know. But, but, but in the middle of that, they, see, they say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right? So you're, you're asking to seek God's will. I think about Saul on the Damascus Road at his conversion. This, this blinding light happens and he's knocked off his horse and, and he's laying there on the ground and, and he sees this figure and, and he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. You know, and he talks to him. And the very next thing that, that Paul asked him, that Saul asked him, he said, what would you have me do? What is your will? And, and, and so discovering the will of God for our life is so important. What would he have us do with our life? And so he's praying for this church, and he says, look for God's will. Here's what I'm going to say. Let the pursuit of God's will be a lifelong quest in, in you. No matter how young, no matter how old, no matter where you find yourself in your health, uh, no, ma no matter what you're doing, Seek God's will for your life. It's a grand adventure, and it's his desire for us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. We can't base God's will for our life on circumstance, but we find ourselves doing that. I mean, uh, 
saw a parking spot open up up front, so I know God wants me to pull in there and go shopping. I just feel it, you know. I heard this one. Um, this guy was on a diet, and, and so he, uh, uh, every day when he would go to work, he would go by this donut shop, and they had the stuff. I mean, like, theirs was the best. And so he said, if I'm going to be successful on this diet, I cannot drive past this donut shop. So he changed the way he drove to work, just completely avoided it, and he did good, you know. But then one day he was, he was running late, and, and he got in a hurry a little bit, and he was driving, and he found himself on the old path. He said, okay, God, you put me on this path. If you want me to have donuts, the drive through will be empty. And it was on his eighth trip around the block, right? <laughs> But, but, but we find ourselves doing these kind of things, you know, and, and honestly, that's how we approach it. And, and, and listen, God has a big plan in, in what he wants to reveal to us step by step by step when we're seeking his will. Um, but how do we find the will of God? I mean, there, how do we even figure that out? There's a word in our passage that's used a couple of times that I think is the key to discovering his will for us, and that's knowledge. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. And, and if we look at that verse, you know, uh, uh, we see that, that God's will is tied to knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So for me, it sounds like we need to use our minds to find God's will and not just depends on this happenstance or maybe a queasy feeling, you know. Uh, knowledge is a key theme in all of Paul's writings. It's important, and we often disregard it. And, uh, I've heard people give this advice, right? Somebody says, I just don't know what to do, man. I've been faced with this decision, and, and I don't know what to do. And then somebody else will look at them and say, follow your gut, follow your heart, Right? Whatever your heart tells you to do, go, go do that, right? It's bad advice. Um, Jeremiah uh, 17, it tells us this. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Who even really knows how bad it is? So if you're following your heart, you may want to rethink how you're doing it. The prophet Hosea says this, says, God's people are destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. It's not the lack of a feeling or the lack of, of anything. You know, the lack of luck is none of those things. He says it's the lack of knowledge that destroys God's people. There's always a direct correlation to the knowledge of God's word and the knowledge of God's will. The more you know biblical principles, the more you can see God's will for your life. This is why we stress these things and we go through the Bible the way we do. You know, like I said, there's a lot of scriptures that it would be easy for us to just pass over. But when we go through these books, it forces us to wrestle with some things and to slow down and to look and to gain uh, um, um, just wisdom from these difficult passages. And, and we do that and we got a better understanding and more knowledge. So how about this? Four times. Four times, Jesus asked the religious leaders, have you not read? 
Right? Have you not read? He's pointing them back to the Scripture. Do you not know? Because from your childhood you come up memorizing these things and you know these things. Have you not read? And he's pointing them back to those Scriptures and the knowledge that, that we can draw from it. So when you pray for somebody, pray that, that, uh, that God will give them a hunger for his word so that they might know his will. Um, so, so the next thing, um, we have a walk with God. Um, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, uh, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. Many times, just like here, the word walk is used, and it's used as a metaphor, a word picture for how we live our life, um, our lifestyle. You know, it refers to our daily conduct. Uh, how do you live your life? Um, so you walked in here from your car. You sit down, and when we get done, you're going to walk out and grab a donut and then go back to your car, right? And, and so it's a physical walk. Um, your soul has a walk, too. Um, it, it, it has a walk. Um, it says in the Old Testament that Enoch and Noah walked with God. That means they had a life that was conformed to the will of God. And they walked it. They lived it. They knew it. So there's a connection between knowing and growing, just like there's a connection between learning and living. I've been all over the world. I took classes everywhere from you name it. Met some of the smartest biblical teachers alive. They've got most of the Bible memorized, right? But it don't matter if your walk is not coming out through that. Um, if you want to graduate to a deeper level of living, you have to apply what you know. So when you walk a life worthy of the Lord, right? And so um, I do devotions for a lot of the basketball teams, football teams, and everything. And, and so within the, the last little bit, I did a devotion for, for a group, um, you know, from, uh, I do for you, I do for everywhere. And so it was this one group, <coughs> and this, this, this boy was cued in, man. I mean, he was zoned in. Second row. Nobody sits in the first row. Just read. So, <laughs> yeah. And if you got a kid. Uh, but, but, uh. So he's in the second row, right in front of me, and he was just glued. And, and so um, I went through the devotion, and we got through. So he, he come around and come up and was asking me questions about what we talked about. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know? And he's really getting into it. Well, the way you had to leave is you have to go around the corner, you know, from, from this place where they were. And so I went around this corner, and, and here was this young man double-barrel middle fingers to his buddy, right? His life wasn't going with what he knew. And, and so when I come around the corner, I saw him. He saw me see him, and you could watch it. He just put his head down and went in another door. But the problem is that what was in his head wasn't coming out through his life. So our walk... You ever notice people walk different? Like, like, some people walk fast, right? I worry about those people. Uh, they're, they're on their way somewhere, 
And you wonder what's going on, right? And then you've got slow people that, you know, they walk kind of slow. And they're, they're more observant and they're taking it in, you know. You can tell when a cowboy walks by. Or a four-year-old. Four-year-olds don't walk, they run. Unless you woke them up too early, then they walk with their arms crossed. Don't bother those kids. So, how does Paul tell us to walk? He says, walk worthy of the Lord. So, what does that mean? Exactly what you think it means. Uh, that our life, we, we need to strive to do the very best that we can to be Christ-like. And, and I know that there's things in our life that we don't need to be doing, that we just continue to go back to. Um, they're, 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 they're usually not horrible things. Um, they're usually pretty harmless. Maybe we laugh at a joke we shouldn't. Maybe we bend our finances. Maybe we don't treat the time clock the way we should. You know, the, the, our Google searches aren't always wholesome. You know, and, and so there's these things that we do in our life. Um, we are called to walk a walk worthy of the Lord. And we need to, to know in our head that what we believe in our heart should be seen in our walk. You want to walk worthy? Here's how. The secret's in the next line. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's good stuff. And it starts to unpack how it looks in our life. Here's the application part of it. If we want to please God, we should filter our life through him. So my wife, um, she says to you, she, when she's talking to the girls or with other parents and stuff, a lot of times she will tell them, I filter my life through how does this make me look as a wife and a mother? If I do this, how will it be perceived through that lens? And so we need to do that with God. And what if we did that with God? In our decision-making process, what if we asked the question, will this please God? What if I go to school here? Will this please God? What if I took this job? Will this please God? What if I get into this relationship Will this please God? And I've thought about this, and I really think that if we did this, me too, right? Me too. I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to me. Um, if we did this, our lives would look different. Not do I want this, but will this please God? See, Jesus lived through this kind of filter. In John 8, he says, For I do always those things that please him. And then when Jesus was baptized in, in the river, right, God spoke. What did he say? This is my son whom I am well pleased. Right? And when you walk um, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, then you'll find that you're bearing fruit. You're being, you're being fruitful in every good work and you're increasing in the knowledge of God. So when you're praying for your Christian friends, when you think about my knee... Pray that they're walking a walk that is fully pleasing to God and that they're, they're being fruitful and increasing in the knowledge of God. So in verse 11, he prays 
that they be a warrior for God. He prays that they be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for the patience and long-suffering of joy. So at that time, the church was being infiltrated um, with false teachers. So they were just teaching this heresy and, and calling it a gospel. And they were also being persecuted by the outside world. They were telling them how wrong they really are. Maybe we can relate. But, 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 but he knew they needed strength to withstand all these attacks, both from the world and, and from the people who had, who had snuck into the church and teaching these heresies. For me, one of the biggest surprises came when I, when I become a Christian is, is that the Christian life is often a battleground. Um, I came looking for peace and love and joy and hope and forgiveness. And I did get those things. But what I learned was exactly what Jesus said. He said, if, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would have loved you if you were of its own and belonged to it. But you're no longer part of that world. I chose you to come out of that world so it hates you. So how do we combat this? In Ephesians 6, and again, this is on the plaque, right? Um, it says it like this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of a dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. He's saying, suit up, we're going to war. When we're born again, we're born onto a battleground, not onto a playground. And the battle, it's for our soul. And if we're going to war, we're going to need strength because these battles we face are hard. And like last night at our event here, we, we had a recovery event, you know, addiction recovery event. And I heard over and over again how they talked about the 24 hours, the 24 they called it. I made it through today. And so it's a daily battle. It's a daily struggle. And it's not just with addiction. It's with other things that are in our life. It's with, like I said, it's, it's, with, it's with everything that we do. So you need strength. You need power. Um, you need this because the battle is hard. Paul piles up three words in verse 11. He does it's strength, might, and power. I'm not going to give you, we're not going to do a huge Greek lesson because I'm horrible at it, but I do have a little bit of knowledge. And so there's something here that I think um, that, that is, it is awesome. The word for power here in the Greek is dynamis. Dynamis, right? So that's where we get our word dynamite from, right? So, so here, read it like this. I'm going to give you the NCV, right? the new Chris version. May you be strengthened with God's dynamite. Right? I love that. Man, that, that brings power. You know, it gives it, that gives it substance. Uh, uh, so, so you need this strength, this power, and this might for long suffering. Because even though the battles are short sometimes, maybe even you win. It's going to rage on. It's going to happen over and over and over. When I was growing up, there was a commercial and it reminded me of this it's time x right take a licking keep on ticking 
And, and so that's what he's saying. It keeps coming over. The tidal waves never stop. And Paul says that we should endure the long suffering with joy. With joy? How do we suffer with joy? Long, not just suffer, long suffer with joy. He's saying that you can just endure life and float through and make it. Or you can make it through joyfully. Anybody can sing when the sun is shining. The bank accounts are full. The Swiss rolls are in the cabinet. Anybody can celebrate that. But when it's not, where do you find your strength? I read this week that a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. But a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. And that's the joy of the Lord in the midst of a battle. And, and, and to be able to experience this kind of joy, it takes God's strength. It takes God's power. It takes God's might. This is not something we can do on our own. And that's what Paul is praying for, for the church, for believers. Because he knows how hard it is. So when you pray for your Christian friends, pray for these things. So now I want us to look at verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love and in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So in a nutshell, what he's saying here... Um, you should be thanking God. You should be praising God. We should be worshiping God for saving you. And don't ever forget that you have been saved. That's why we put this cross up. It's not just pretty. It reminds us that we have been saved. We have been bought by a price. Our debts have been paid for. It reminds us that what it costs God to pay that sin debt. So we have to remember that no matter how bad the battle gets here on earth, no matter how bad our, our problems are, no matter how high the, the circumstances are piled up, that we're just passing through. That this earth is just temporary. Look at it like this. In a hundred years, the struggles that we're going through, they're not going to matter. In a hundred years, um, the hardships, the setbacks, the disappointments, uh, all those things, they're not going to matter. Also, in a hundred years, the material possessions that, that we chase after so hard, our houses, our, our boats, our cars, whatever, our bank accounts, our investments, all those things, not going to matter. I'll tell you what is going to matter. Are you saved? That's what's going to matter in a hundred years. That's all that's going to matter. And that's what Paul's saying is that we should always praise him. We should always thank him for our salvation. Our attitude toward God helps, helps set our course for a better life. And this is why in 1 Thessalonians he says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ concerning you. So Paul prayed for believers. And it comes down to this question. Whole thing. Whole thing right here. One question. Are you saved? Are you saved? 
what it comes down to. If you are, thank him for that. Thank him when you wake up. Thank him when you're having lunch. Thank him before you go to bed. Thank him when you see the kids running. Thank him when you go outside. Thank him when you get in your car. Thank him because you are saved. And if you're not, get saved. Right? Right? Uh, Surrender to his will. And I know people say, I don't want to do that. He's not going to make you. We serve a God that doesn't force his hand on us. He offers this to us. Um, You can be like that statue of Atlas that we looked at and try to carry the world on your shoulders. But I know me, and I need that little boy who's just flipping it like a ball, you know. I need that in my life. I trust the one who's just holding the world in his hand. The one who says, I've got this. It's easy for me. If you're not saved. And you want to be. And you say, I just don't know how. Listen, it's the easiest gift you'll ever receive. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about believing in the one who finished the work. It's about Jesus Christ who came and lived and died and was resurrected for you, for me, for the sins of many. This all makes sense for you. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. Maybe it makes sense for the very first time. I'd love, I'd love for you to come up here and let us pray with you and for you. I'd love that. This altar, this place of prayer, this place of healing, this place of restoration. would love for you to come here. Maybe you say, well, I've, I've done that. But I've not lived a life worthy of the Lord. I'd love for you to come and pray right here. And, and us lock arms and go together to a brand new place. He said, I make all things new. And today maybe he's making you new. Or maybe you've been doing good and you're reading your Bible and you feel this call in your gut and you know that God's calling you to a greater thing, that he's put a purpose in your heart and in your life and he's given you opportunity and you need to step into that. I'd love for you to come right here and let me pray for you. If you'd like to come and pray for our church, for what? what Jared talked about for Together for the Mountains, how we're trying to bring this community together and make it a better place uh, for, for Jesus. No other reason left for you to come and pray. You'd like to come and pray for me. I need it. I'd love it. If you'd like to come and pray for Jared, because I know, I know the days get hard. He's not praying for sinners here. He's praying for the church. We need this strength for the battle because I promise it's coming. I promise it's coming. So no, this is an altar. This is a safe place for you to come and pray. As they sing, there's people in this room would love to pray with you and for you.